0: hi i'm matt banahan uh, former bath gloucester and england rugby player and you're listening to the loose head podcast
1: yo loose heads listeners let's kick it Podcast. all right stop Turn it up and listen, loose it back with a new conversation, something. Grabs a hold of me tightly, emotions and fears in the daily
2: and nightly. Will it ever stop you? I don't know. Tackle the
1: sigma and we'll know. Come in our club pass and set your mind free, because rugby's a place where I can just be me. New sets purpose? New sets, purpose. Banners, great to have you on the Clubhouse podcast for a chat today. Happy Friday and the first question as always on this podcast comes from our partners at Talk Club and that is how are you today out of 10?
0: Uh, I feel after last night I'm I'm on a high I was at a good event with you and I'm probably a good 7 or 8 out of 10. Uh, 10 out of 10 is always hard to get to but um, I'm a couple of hours away from going home and playing golf tomorrow so uh, what can be better?
1: Very nice. Yeah, I was going to get onto that. We were at the same event, the same gala dinner last night. I'd, I'd say for me, I'm probably a self-inflicted six because I had a few pints last night and I got dragged out into town afterwards. So this morning was uh, was quite slow. Um, but you were on the head table. How was it?
0: Yeah, it was brilliant. Um it was a great event done by Bristol Sport at Ashton Gate, uh, celebrating the, the Bristol City, the Bears and the Flyers um, and showing what good that they've been doing in the city. Um, and as we spoke off off the podcast a minute ago about that being in the West Country, you can't just think it's just Bath, it's just Bristol, it's just Exeter. So you've got to be able to embrace the other communities and see what they're doing. Um, and what they're doing there is fantastic and how they're helping the city and, and the greater area uh, was great to see and fantastic to be part of. Yeah,
1: it's really nice to see the, the three stories that they highlighted last night and showing just how... Sport helps those people in the communities, and uh, uh, you know I was I worked at Bristol Sport for three years, and I know you know they, they do a fantastic job in the community. So that that whole event last night was a culmination of the the hard work that people behind the scenes put in. So yeah, it was it was fantastic. And um, just coming on to um, talk a little bit about the podcast in season two, and and Ben, we're joined by you as a as a co-host. So I just want to bring you in and sort of ask you as well how you, how you are out of ten today.
2: Yes, cheers, Rob, and uh, hey, Matt, I was going, mate. Okay. Yeah, good, good, good. Looking fresh, mate. Looking fresh. Uh Yeah, I'm good. So I am, yeah, eight, nine out of ten. It's Friday. Finishing off a little bit of work now, ready for a big uh, weekend
1: of rugby, so uh looking forward to it. Nice, nice. And whilst on rugby, um Banners, the, the last guest on the podcast was Australian scrum half Nick White and every guest leaves a question for the next guest and he's kept it quite rugby themed and his question is because we've now entered into a world cup year who is going to win the world cup
0: uh i think at the moment with momentum i think france france are probably the strongest team not only just a starting 15 but who they've got playing well and you always look at the european player of the year and the people who are on that list and the most amount of French players that have been on that list over the last two or three years, I think, is where the French rugby is going. I think Sean Edwards is obviously a massive part of that, um, probably turning their mindset as a international team massively around. Um, and they're definitely a force to be reckoned with uh, going into the World Cup.
1: Yeah, Ben?
2: hard to hard to disagree there. Yeah. France looking good. Ireland. Uh it's going to be a tasty old six nations leading up to it. Obviously you can't rule out New Zealand either. Um I was going to ask you uh, Matt w- what team would you like to fit into um for example in the World Cup now which country would you like to to play in that backline with?
0: Um I'd probably I'd love to play in the South African backline. Um just because with the amount of size that they have in their forwards um it meant that I'd have had more one-on-ones on the wing rather than 2 and 3 on ones where I was just running into brick walls. And when you got people like Tess and Colby and Vilimsay at 15 who are making space for others, um, you're always looking for one-to-one spaces or running into gaps. And I think they create so much more for other people around there, the pitch. And I think that they've been the team to beat for the last three years. Are they an ageing team? Can they do it for another World Cup is the question. But I think... Uh, with the way I like to play, having a big pack of forwards gives uh, a big back more opportunity to run into space and into one-on-one tackles and uh, evasions rather than into brick walls.
2: Yeah, and especially with your your skill set as well. Not only you can carry your high ball skills as well as you sent me that video a few days ago, mate. Uh, is exceptional. So. Yeah, I can imagine you playing for South
0: Africa on that wing, mate. Yeah,
1: chasing those
2: kicks. <laughs>
1: chasing those kicks, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just talking about, obviously you spoke about France there, coming on to the Six Nations. We are just under 24 hours uh, when we click record for this podcast to, to go until the, the start of the Six Nations with um, Wales versus versus Ireland in Cardiff. Um, Banners, you've played in the Six Nations, you've won the Six Nations. Just give us your overview of the tournament as a whole and why it's just the best tournament.
0: It's it's just amazing how in such a short period of time, it's two weeks, week off, one week, two weeks, the amount of people that come out and support their national teams and you'd be playing the the Blues at home or the three Blues away, um, but going to the Millennium Stadium on a Friday night, where I did one of mine, it's incredible. And then you go to uh, Ireland, to the Aviva Stadium on Paddy's weekend. It's just, it brings people out that probably wouldn't go watch club rugby, but you're bringing a, a, a nation together to support a team. And I was very fortunate enough to, to win it the year I played in it um, with a, a special group of players. But it's where we've seen it go in other sports where the nations stop and watch the, if it's the Lionesses women or, or the Wales and England at the, the last World Cup, where people stop and pay attention. And when you see every single piece of branding, we want to see rugby grow as we do with, with football. And for the next seven, eight, ten weeks, everything is branded, everything is supported towards every home nation to be performing well. Um, everybody's quite level-headed for the first two weeks, but after that third game, everybody can see where it's going and where the marketing then goes towards the team they think are going to be successful. So for England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales, I think they're going to be which one can take the scalp of France uh, and possibly push their chances forward or help one of the other nations who might have got off with a good start. but. It's uh, it's anybody's this year, I think. It's probably the closest it's been over yeah. many years. I think even Italy can turn up on the day and shock people. Um, Wales are a little bit un-nobody-knows-what's-going-to-come-out-of-them. They've got a lot of youngsters coming out there, and they'll, they can come out and tear people apart because they have no fear. Youngsters are coming to the game now with an ability to just be told, go and express yourself. And sometimes they're the dangerous ones because you look at an experienced Ireland team, but... I've done a lot of games commentating on the, the Scotland teams when they played English teams. And I think the people they have selected are playing well for their club and that is why it's making yeah. Scotland strong. So I think this Scotland-England game is not going to be as one-sided as, as people think. I think yeah. it's going to be a very, very interesting game.
1: No games played. Let's go head-to-head. Banners versus Ben. <laughs> uh, three questions. <laughs> let's go Let's go. winner first. Banners.
0: Uh, France. Ireland.
1: Surprise package.
0: Uh, Scotland. Scotland, yeah,
1: <laughs> and the player to watch. Uh,
0: I, I think you can never. Don't go... say
1: Dupont. Don't say Dupont. Um, <laughs> because it's obviously Dupont.
0: Oh, well, I'll <laughs> I'll chuck a purple because I I've I love the fact that England have now selected a winger on the wing, um, and I, I really want Ollie Hassel Collins to have a, a great Six Nations. Yeah. I think he's deserved it over the last couple of years. Uh, and to get a start straight away in the first game, I, I hope he has a, a great tournament.
2: Um, myself, i got a back and a forward. Uh, forward, Jack Morgan, he's been playing quality. i a big Osway fan. Uh, so I've uh, been watching them a lot recently and uh, he's just been, yeah, been carving up. So it be interesting to watch him and the international setup. And also a uh, big fan of Ring Rose as well, 13 Islands. Um, yeah, what a player. So looking forward to seeing him um, Yeah, in a few games.
1: Yeah. Only
2: time will tell. Banners with you, uh, how, how far are you in, into your retirement where you can actually enjoy rugby as a fan rather than being connected to the players on the pitch?
0: I think I've always been able to do that because um, I've always enjoyed it as a sport. Throughout I, I, my whole rugby career, I played against yourself and even though we got, I got paid to play rugby, I still had the mindset of an amateur rugby player because I came into it so late. Um, I never had any animosity about finishing the game because I finished on my own terms. But it, it's it's that, <laughs> the pity of going to a rugby game now is that I really just can't be bothered to queue up and sit in an uncomfortable seat. Um, so I'd much rather stay at home and be comfortable. But um, that's the only thing that keeps me away from it. But I enjoy going and doing a lot of commentary because um, I like to think that, I, I like to give people a different way to to see the game of how I see it, explain what, what we're doing it for and how what people are looking for. But yeah, I, I if I wanted to go to the games, I probably would. But when you, when you, your life changes, you've got three kids, your weekends change to shifting them around fixtures and recording them and rewatching them. So um, it's it, it's been fine for me, uh, but I can see how it definitely affects other players. Uh, when they retire, when it gets taken away from them.
1: Yeah, and I, I guess that's one thing I wanted to touch on, actually, was it's, it's a topic that we talk about quite a lot of Loose Heads. Um, the stat is that 66% of players struggle with, a, with their mental health post-retirement. And I just wanted to ask, you know, how you actually found that transition from playing into life after rugby.
0: Yeah, to be honest, I was very lucky um, with, obviously, I had 12 great years at Bath. Um, and then moving to Gloucester, even though I'd love to have stayed at Bath, but to go to Gloucester, you understand stuff about other people in business, other people in rugby. Um, and then when I spoke to Skiffs, I, after the end of my second year, they said, what's your goals next year? And I said, I'm going to retire. So I called it a year before I actually did it. So they knew. Um, and I said to them, I hope you'll support me. Pick me when I want. Um, I'll always smile when I turn up to training. I'll smile if I'm not selected. I'll smile when I'm selected. I enjoy what I do and I think that's where I kept it. I saw um, an interview by Jeff Tamarga, Alan, the other day um, for Ulster and he hit the nail on the head. Um, that's how I played my career, um, just to enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, so when I had a whole year preparing myself, getting qualifications, when I retired, I got offered a job, not on the one I'm now, but it had a goal for something. We are goal-driven people. We are goal-driven weekly to win uh, games or train or get better. So have something ready for me to come out of the game was what I thought was one of the benefits of what, why I finished and I was quite okay. Um, whereas I always say to other people, they normally retire injured, which comes as a shock, or they think they can carry on playing and no clubs offer them something. And to those two, you have to have a knee-jerk reaction to try and get a job. And then you're forever chasing your tail to try and find the job that you like. I had 10, 11 months to prepare myself into it. The only time I ever struggled, my wife would say to you mentally, was that first lockdown. I came out being at college, started playing rugby at 17, turned professional six months, 12 months later, straight into professional environment where it's very regimented. And from 18 years old to 32, that's all I'd ever really been mm-hmm. used to. And then as soon as somebody said to you, you're not coming into work today, stay at home, do this, do this, I'd lost myself. Um, I was really bad. And I didn't realise how bad I was until I looked back. Um, Because we are born by the same trait of just a rugby player and we have to have other facets to our game. It's other sports, If it's music. Benji will say that rugby players normally just hang out with rugby players. If I was saying to anyone, try and get a friendship group away from rugby because they're the ones that will count on you when you finish playing rugby. Um, I was very lucky that I did have that, but through lockdown we weren't allowed to see them. Um, And that was the part where I I realised that I was lucky I had a a strong group of uh, friends and uh, family away from rugby that really... me on the straight and narrow because I could definitely see it happening to to somebody who didn't have that and that could be the make or break is if somebody's going to make it into professional sport because they could have a had a bad lockdown and and forth but when I was retiring I was all all tickety-boo I was happy I had everything lined up but um, I definitely lost myself in that first lockdown for a bit
2: (laughs) And you uh, touched on then, you, you retired during the lockdown period, around, around the COVID period, and you didn't manage to get that, that last couple of games. How, how did that feel, um, that you just had to to finish there and then on, on Twitter virtually?
0: Yeah, it, it pretty much was on Twitter. I knew that I was, I was finishing. It, it was it was a bit surreal because my last game was against Quinns, with nobody there. I tried to stop Tyrone Green from scoring a try. He dived, his head hit my head. I was unconscious, I got taken off the pitch. I don't remember leaving the pitch, I got red carded. Next thing I do, I come back round in the changing rooms with oxygen on my face, going, what's happened? They're like, we well, got red cards, you got taken off this year, last season. I was like, well, yeah, at least I remember the game. Um, so I, I, it was one of those ones where it wasn't how you wanted it to finish, but you can't control everything in your life. Hmm. Um, and then, like I said, we we, we spoke. About it. I came out of retirement 18 months later and played for the Barbarians, Uh, against Bath but we'll probably touch on that later but that's probably why I asked to come out of retirement is just to get that that finishing line in front of family and friends
2: and um obviously you've played in some incredible stadiums firstly you old Trafford as well as your starting one but um obviously finishing and finishing rugby how do you or do you search for that replacement for the adrenaline of a game Obviously, a lot of players, when they retire, they look for something else. A lot of the Welsh players, they they do mad Ironmans and things like that. Is there, yeah. is there something that you do that replaces that adrenaline of playing?
0: I think for, for me, that the adrenaline part is is not a drive for me. It's that mental stimulus. So I, I, I love coaching. I love uh, being part of it. So I, I do multiple coaching jobs outside the job I do now with the schools, with football, with other rugby teams because um, that stimulates me because it will keep me thinking throughout the week. Um, I literally, when we spoke, though I hadn't picked up a weight or been to the gym since I finished training. I'd done two years of nothing. And then I finally joined the gym and I I finally got that buzz back. So I'm going at six o'clock in the morning, three days a week, and I'm enjoying being part of a team um, because it's group sessions where you cheer people on and get everybody going. And and it's really got me back into enjoying it and, and feeling the buzz again. I think being one hundred and thirty clicks and twenty-one stone was a little bit too heavy for me. So I'm just nearly ticking under twenty stones. I nearly lost a bit after a month, but I think that's that's my my drive more mental stimulus. I I can tie myself in knots over and over again if I if I'm not thinking about things and moving away from the the, the adrenaline stuff. I don't need that. I I mind my mental side.
2: With training, you said it back in the gym. How are you training on your own? What were you like training on your own? Because obviously, all your career since you were a kid, you've been in a, a gym with thirty other other guys training alongside them. What were you like when you just go to the gym, or, or is that why you've gone to a group team setting?
0: Uh, that's why I've gone to a team one. Um, when I played rugby, I was very uh, uh, allergic to the gym. shall we say I was, <laughs> I was naturally big? I was naturally strong. So, uh. When I was playing, I think it's from 2010 to about 2016, I'd do two pilates sessions a week um, and I'd pretty much just sit on a watt bike the rest of the time and I'd heckle boys lifting weights because um, I didn't really <laughs> need to and didn't want to. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that was my, my journey in the gym. Um, and then I realised that I might have to start doing a bit more at Gloucester, which I did do, but I, I still did the bare minimum because that's what I was used to. I think when we talk about i was so used to going into a gym for an hour and a half and being told what to do what to lift how much to lift and being goal driven and that's why i had to separate myself away from the gym for so long to realize that you can just go to the gym and just enjoy yourself and be fit and healthy helps you mentally helps you physically helps your whole day your week um but i just had to have that prolonged period to, to find that drive that buzz again and now i'm in this group and. I could lift way more than I wanted to, but it's not that. There's no egos in the gym. It's about being healthy, and that's what I'm enjoying about it at the moment. Love
1: that. I guess that that team environment is what you had at Bath for 12 years. You mentioned it before. So let's talk a little bit about Bath. You're a big fan favourite. The city loves you. What was it like to play in blue, black and white?
0: Oh, it's fantastic that they obviously left – I left – Jersey went to London Irish because that's the the first. Uh, if you're playing for Hampshire, you go go to London Irish or Quinns, and I went to Irish. Being from Jersey and London are two very different places, so <laughs> I had to get out there very quickly. And my 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 father's dad lived uh, brother lived in Bristol, so Bath offered me a role, and I, t- I took it up. And uh, my first year here, um, I probably took it for granted. Um, I was an academy player. Thought you think you walk into Bath, you think I'm a rugby player, I do what I want drink lots have a laugh i got removed out the first team after seven months was back training with the younger academy lot i went home after that uh pre-season and my brother sat me down and said oh did you give it you all and i actually said no i i think i've nearly missed my opportunity um and he said all right let's crack on let's go training then so the whole off season i carried on training with my brother in jersey and then my first day back steve me and turned. i said what have you been doing then i said i've carried on training I said, oh, will see then. So then he put me with Danny Grucock in the whole preseason, and we had a, a fighting pre-season, so it was wrestling, sparring, uh, climbing up stuff, and it was me and Gruy, and I literally just kept my mouth shut and just worked hard. And then I got the first pre-season start against Clenephi Scarlet's second pre-season start was against Edinburgh, uh, and then I didn't play against Leinster, and I thought I'd lost it, and then I started the first Prem Games with Worcester, and from that point, 264 games later, 100 tries, uh, played what, 11, 12, 13, 14 to 15 throughout 11 years. Uh, I wouldn't change a bit. And my whole mentality was that I enjoyed playing for a team that at the end of the time, I came into it sort of like semi-pro still. We worked hard. We had a small of squad, about 28, 29 of us. You had to learn multiple positions to help the squad. And then as my tier time's gone at Bath, you saw the squad's gone from 30 to 40 to 50 to 60. And people only play one position, whereas I was the person who was like, Yeah, if, if we're short, I'll play. I don't mind. Oh, do you wanna play an L V Cup game? All the senior boys have got it off. Yeah, I'll still play. I, I love playing rugby, I love playing sport. And when I ended up uh, marrying into a, a bath girl who a bath family, it just felt like I was playing for my local club. The the benefit was I was getting paid for it. But every time I turned put on the shirt, I felt like I was representing everybody who was there, who'd support us, who would be in the local shops. Um and that's how my my sort of my uh, relationships with the city is still good now and because they've been fantastic to me and I've only got to sort of pay them back yeah
1: yeah I love that everything that you've just said there is exactly why you're a, you're a fan favorite and it's it seems like I bumped into you didn't I at the rec um not too long ago and it feels like you still got that connection with the fans as well
0: yeah and it's the the the, the fans and supporters are why you play um you want to Um, make their week better, their day better, uh, change a grandfather and their grandson, make them smile. And i always got small things told to me throughout my whole career is that giving somebody 10 minutes of your time in the long run means nothing to you, but it could mean the world to them. Um, And these are small things that I always said in my head, when you finish playing, if you get in your head two years after you finish playing, nobody's going to care who you are. Because sport is fickle. People just remember the new people who are playing here and here. And if you're one of those lucky people that can be remembered, you must have done something something right. I don't try and throw myself in front of people's faces and be like, look at me, look at me. I just try and give people time. Uh, and sometimes it, it's that they're making me late to other stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, I was in a position where people would have dreamed to be in. And they've given me such, they're the ones that have cheered me on when it, I've been freezing cold or cheered me on when I've even had a bad game. They're like, really, they're an extension of your family. Um, And that was the relationship that I feel like I finished with. When I finished for Bath against London Irish and I scored that hat-trick in my last game for Bath, that was special. When I came back for Gloucester and I scored the try to make it 31-all and all 14,000 people cheered, that was even more special because that was so surreal. Um, But it shows how sport can be very powerful in not just... uh, in a professional sense, but in a personal sense, that you can affect people without having to be um, take yourself in it above a limelight or above a line, or make yourself feel better than them.
2: With uh, with your move to Gloucester, what, what sparked that? What was the the reason behind you moving to Gloucester?
0: Yeah, well, I I'd been in Bath twelve years, and I was, I was I was thinking I was going to get a testimonial offered to me, um, and they offered me a contract which was considerably less than what I was on. And the wage cap had gone up two and a half million, I think. And I'd been there 12 years and I'd played multiple positions And I thought I'd have been uh, rewarded for what I'd done. Mm. But one thing I got told when I was at London Irish by like the academy manager there, Corin Palmer, said rugby's a business. And that was the first time I ever felt rugby was a business. That they are also trying to get the best of their money. Um, and they're looking at what's good for the club. And I, looking back at it, when like you questioned earlier, Do I resent anything? Do I change anything? That would be, I don't resent anything, actually. I've learned so much from my time that I moved away. Um, But yes, they offered me something. They said I had one week to sign it. And my question was, I've been here 12 years, and you give me one week to sign a contract. I'd like to negotiate. And they said, no, that's your contract. And then a week later, they said, "Um, what are you doing? I said, I'm not signing it. It's not what I want. It's not got any drive for me. And they said, well, unfortunately, you've got no offer from Bath now. So I have got home. and. Pretty stressful with the wife, and she said, What are you going to do? I said, Let's find somewhere else to play. So I had a meeting with Pat Lamb, I had a meeting with Thomas Castagnier over the phone from Toulouse, and I had a meeting with David Humphreys. And sometimes you say stars line. I knew everybody at lots of different clubs, and Toulouse and Bristol were like two years of probably what would have been able to offer you, and uh, lost offered me three. And I'm a stability man, I don't like gambling and stuff. So I took the three years, and hindsight's a wonderful thing. The lockdown happened, COVID happened. I had a, another year playing whilst everybody else was possibly out, out of work. That's how that's how that all happens. And do I look back and think I should have stayed at Bath? Well, possibly, but I wouldn't have learned some great life lessons if I hadn't have moved away. Yeah, absolutely. And, um
2: Looking at your time with Bath, I was I was reading a couple of articles uh, earlier, and um, it was saying that you you decided to, to retire that year um, when you said I'm going to retire next year. What was the reason behind that? You uh, you mentioned an article that kids these days are, are a bit quick, um, and yeah, your body wasn't. Uh, what do you say, like an old F1 car? <laughs> yeah, brilliant.
0: I um I I I just felt that I had such a good career. And I was so happy with what I'd achieved in it and I didn't want to drag myself down to try and play more games. I didn't want to be sitting in a squad where I played one or two games a year because I feel like I was taking the place of another person whose journey is just about to start. It's probably probably one of the most humble things I've ever done because you can sit on a contract, you can fall down the leagues, you can pick up more money than these youngsters just because you played for England or done this, but I didn't want to be like that. I, I I was very lucky, however many games I played, I didn't have any surgery, I didn't have any major injuries. I wanted to finish on my own terms. But the main driver was that I wanted to give some other kid the opportunity to do what I've done. And that was the thrive behind it, was that I don't want to sit there for another two years and, I, and stop somebody else who could be the next big thing coming through. Like, I was at Gloucester with Zam, and Zam was coming through, and I was just doing loads of work with him in the academy, and i like, trying to help him through. And I thought, I actually really enjoy this. But I don't want to, when you get some coaches, we've all seen them go, I want to pick the senior player over the young player. And I didn't want to be that person blocking Zam mm. to be playing, even though I wouldn't have blocked him because he's world class. But it could have been somebody like him at a different club. Because if I had to change club for just another two-year contract for the sake of it, I feel like I could have been blocking that. And I that was one of the reasons why I called it ahead, gave myself a year, said to Skivs and Dom and, at the time, Kingy, and said I'm happy I'll be here I'll coach when you need me to coach I'll help the second team I'll play fly after the second team um because I had lots of youngsters outside of me and it was just it was just the right time and it's very few people can finish at on their own time and at the right time and I was one of those no I
2: think that's uh, yeah I think that's beautiful just the fact that you see it as rugby is not your identity it's just a part of your your journey which is uh, which is pretty cool mate and uh, that's probably as you said earlier, how your transition has been, um, yeah, has been quite comfortable. As you said, you've enjoyed it.
1: You are, you are, um, you are number six in the all-time Premiership try-scoring uh, list, and you're four behind Steve Hanley. So, did there was there a little part of you that wanted to jump a little bit further up that list?
0: If I'm truthfully honest with you, I don't know stats about myself. <laughs> you would probably, before I do stuff like this, I have to go and write stuff down that I know there's there's, there's certain games. I could tell you every golf round I've played uh, where I've hit the ball, but I literally couldn't tell you much about my rugby. I just enjoyed it.
1: Do you want to have a stab at who those five people are ahead of you?
0: Well, Hanley's one. You said that. Yep. Ashy. Yep. Quates. Yep. Wadey.
1: Yep. And the top. This is number one.
0: Um. Was
1: it not Ashy? Ashy it the other day. Uh, Tom like, Van is on there. Daughter, Tom Van yeah. on the list
0: as well. I thought Ashy beat that yeah. playing for Leicester the other week. Yeah, maybe it was an old article. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. He's almost on <laughs> Is he one off hundred or two off hundred or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, man, I'll, be, I'll be knocked off that yeah. top ten soon, but it's fine. I'll, I'll, at least I was on there. Yeah.
1: And whilst we're um, whilst we're talking about tries, one of the biggest tries you've ever scored. Is definitely the game for grief in uh, in December 2022, which was the interception try in which all three of us played. So for those people listening, the game for grief was a a charity match that Luceds and Lockerstache played. We went head to head. It was sort of a a game to remember, a game to, a game designed to remember those people that we've lost in the rugby community over the last couple of years. And um, we managed to pull in some big names. We had you two guys on on the loose Looseheads team alongside uh, Jordan Crane, Dave Ward and James Hall. And uh, as we look back sort of six or seven weeks ago now, Banners, do you want to give us sort of a, a little bit of a game review? I yeah, think we were well, talking about it last night, weren't we?
0: Yeah, we spoke about it. Uh, no, it was, it was great. I think you can always see the cut cut of, of like me and Benji just seeing the space a lot quicker than a lot of other people. Locker Stash were enjoying late-shotting me. Every time I passed school, <laughs> get picked up, hit... The youngsters um, are going to I
2: still
0: get kicked, <laughs> Yeah, I got kicked in the face. I had a big scab of myself kicked in the back. Uh, uh, I lost my head for five minutes, <laughs> half through the second half. And then Benji, come and tap me on the back. of goes, Banners, you still with us? I said, yeah. And then Benji was like, you put two of them off the pitch now so you can calm down now. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was, uh, like I said, it was it was great fun. Um, like we were, we started like a house on fire with, I think we were 47, 12 up or something. And then we made a couple of subs, brought you on, Rob. Um, <laughs> and the game got close. <laughs>
2: um,
0: and then and then and then we then we had to bring the bring the starters back on. But it was like I said it was a great, great day, lots of fun. Um and it'll be looked forward to seeing what how that event can grow if the Looseheads do another one against some other teams, because it's a small thing where people wanna remember people that they've that have gone. Um and I think it was a great I, did, and I think it's something that can, it, it, cause it could be a, an 80-year-old bloke and there's no risk of of age on those pitches. We had people playing probably at 18 years old up to 50, 60 um, and that's the benefit of rugby. And yeah. The results, are only a, a, a small margin of it. We're out there doing something bigger and greater for the community and the people there and it was great to be part of it. It was great to play with people like Benji who I've never played with but I've played with Jordan and James and Wardy before, um, and that's the the joy of those sort of fixtures. You can play with people that you have played against um, for years. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think that that interesting that you said there about them. Obviously, the the score doesn't matter in in games like that. Absolutely agree with that. But um, it was. It was getting close, and Dave Ward tapped me on the shoulder and he just went, Mate, we need to stick some of the starters back on. We're not losing this. We are not losing this. And it's the competitive edge coming back out from Wardy.
0: He's probably the most competitive out of all of us because he's a full time professional coach for the Bristol Ben movement. So <laughs> the rest of us, so me true. and Benji were quite happy just being out there, not getting injured, but he wants to win.
1: <laughs> and what, do, what were your thoughts on that, Ben, as well, on the, on the game for grief? Yeah, it was clear. Yeah,
2: it was. Uh... It was quality. I loved it. It was uh, it was a great day. Can we, can we can we do it in May next year though? Is is that all right?
0: I did lost that yeah, yesterday. Minus six yeah.
2: was a bit cold. To be fair, <laughs> it was it was warmer in the changing rooms than warming up. Um, but yeah, it was class. He was he was an honour to play with. Yeah, players like uh, Matt and Wardy and uh, Jordan. He was, was quality. Absolutely loved it. Um, and as well as that, for for an awesome cause. And um, yeah, it was a it was a tough old game first. First half, he was so fast. He was running around, no one wanted to tackle, which was great. First um, scrum of the game, banners didn't didn't fancy tackling and left the guy run thirty meters of me run up. Yeah, um, but yeah, but he was class. It <laughs> was it was good laugh, and he was um, yeah looking forward to doing another one. Yeah,
1: yeah. There was a moment on the pitch right at the end. It was 55-48, which was the final score. Uh, but so we we were sort of seven points up, and we were defending on our try line, weren't we? We camped out for five or ten minutes and I was sort of in between the both of you thinking what on earth am I doing here I do not belong here I do well, not that's belong the safest here.
0: place to be really
1: <laughs> yeah very true yeah. very true uh, but just from a, a loose perspective I'd want to say a massive thank you to to both of you and Banners I, I named you as as captain about 20 minutes before kickoff and you had no idea it was coming and you sort of got everyone around in the changing room and sort of said um you know, you, you're you representing yourself, but also you're representing loose And I thought that was quite nice. It's something I won't forget. And um, very kind words. Um, and yeah, really appreciate it. And, and thank you. Chucking in a lot of people that haven't played together uh, before. That's that's what the Game for Grief was all about. We, we touched on it before, but the Bar Bars is exactly that as well. Just talk to us a little bit about that experience coming back, playing for the Bar Bars and, and that whole week.
0: Yeah, it was uh, insane. I, I was... Pushing it, seeing it, they were trying to find fixtures against uh, teams, Northampton, Quinns, Bath. And I, like I said earlier, I earlier, that I wanted to play in front of my family. Because um, when I played that Irish game, none of them were there. They were all away on holidays because they didn't think it was going to be my last game. Quinns, obviously, locked down, nobody was there. Um, and I, press, not pressurised, but asked people if I could play. Fair play to Tarquin and Stu Hooper at Bath were pushing it from their end, saying that it would be great for the Bath supporters and fans to, to see it. And they allowed it, which was fantastic. And then I went to, up to Quinn's to join in with the team before they came down to Bath. And they played Quinn's and they were probably all still drunk. Uh, and they were, I think it was at one point behind after 55 minutes. And then it was literally like just the wheels fell off. And then we all went down to Bath the next day at the team meeting. And S- Scott was there and he said, boy, I'm not going to train today. Uh, these are the moves we're going to run not to the next day, sweet, perfect. So boys went out, some boys went out again. Some boys tried to sober up, some boys fell asleep. Next day we turned up training. He said, boys, all we're going to do is play walking touch and then could do what you want. So boys play walking touch, run, walk through, come of the moves. Boys went out again if they wanted to. <laughs> turn up. We turn up uh, at the hotel on game day and we're there and you get changed with the thing. No, You've got no physio down at the clubhouse and I get a phone call from somebody at Bath going, are the barbarians actually turning up? Because they've got nobody in the change rooms. You've got no kit man here. You've got nobody representing the barbarians. What are you doing? I said, Oh, we're walking down from the hotel now. One of the boys had a speak on his shoulder. we had yes. all of us just walking along singing songs. Um, and we went out and we hadn't even practiced what warm up we we're doing. We hadn't really done any moves because we'd only all done and spoken about them. Um, we, we stand out on the pitch and I think we scored the first try. I score. I score again. We score. And then it gets really tetchy, like Bath are playing this, they've won two Prem games, they want to keep the momentum going. And then they start taking penalties from in front of the posts, where we're taking quick taps from everywhere. And the Bath fans just start to turn, rather than cheer, and they're like, this is not how Barbarians games are supposed to play. Um, and they missed one of the kicks right in front of where where we were sitting in the, on the sub-benches. And then... I, got, I went on with just about 15 minutes to go, 20 minutes to go, which is, I don't even, people said it was so loud, but I didn't even hear, I just switched into game mode. Um, I made three or four really big tackles because the first thing people would ever question you is your physicality. So I thought, I can't never get questioned phys- physically. Uh, I made two or three really big ball carries. Bath then got a penalty with 90 seconds to go. And they took their time, they kicked it over, and I they're one point ahead now. All right. And then, Damien McKenzie kicks the ball. Mike Brown taps it back. We get the ball. I'm standing on the left-hand side. We're about 40 yards out. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're going to get a penalty here at breakdown. I'm going to have to kick it. <laughs> and that was God, God's mind's honest. I was thinking that. And I was thinking, please, no. And then we went zigzag three or four times. And we picked about 10 metres. And as the nine goes to pass it, I'm thinking, he's passing it to me. And he just whips it back to Damien McKenzie. who's sat in the pocket on the 40-metre line with four bar players chasing him. And he must kick it through this tiniest hole, like a little banana kick round, like a little fade, soft fade, straight through the middle of the posts. And we beat him with a last kick in overtime. And it was just, it went off. And I played with some talented players. Damien McKenzie is phenomenal. Um, I played against a couple of the Kiwi boys, obviously playing England, New Zealand, a couple of other touring games, Kiwis that come over to the UK. He is one hell of a talent.
2: What's special about
0: him? I've never seen somebody take the ball to the line, but still have so much time in their hands, because he can run past kick, he can be as flat, most tens we would see, Benji, would take it flat to the line, and they catch it, and they give it straight away. He seems to have, get the the ball at the line, but have any option that he can wind one and cling it over the top, or pull it ways. Most people pass him over the top have to give themselves more depth and they run it to the line to wind themselves over. Or he's got the ability to catch and kick on one step and he's got electric footwork. And when you see people from afar, because we watch two fifteen in the mornings on Saturday, Sunday morning, you think, oh, yeah, you're talented, talented. When I see it, I was like, wow, there's, there's talented players and then there's the the... The one in a million players and he's definitely one of those one in a million players
2: with um obviously with the the Barbars, um super relaxed set and did you learn anything from that i know it was your last game but playing that game and obviously you're super relaxed going into it maybe too relaxed with the drinking but the, the the state is there but um would you go back to your career now and try and have that same mindset so you you probably playing a lot more relaxed in, in that in that game type of thing
0: I think, not just just not just for me, but I think it, it showed how we probably overcomplicate the game, where you can put together a bunch of boys who can train for a week. The first Barbarian squad got put together for a week, and then they beat an All Blacks 15. And then they put a new group, a group of boys together for four days, and they ran Quinns Close. A different group of 15, who then beat Bath. And another group of 15 who had a competitive game against Northampton. The question is, do we, com- comp- do we complicate rugby by chucking too many moves in mm. or trying to be too fancy or just play the simple fact of we're trying to move the ball to space? Uh, and that that's what the, the theory was. We're going to move the ball to space and we're going to choose the right options. And I, I, being a coach now, I see it. I was a player that I used to enjoy the coach telling me what to do. But now, I'm now a coach and I want to be able to tell these kids that I want to give you a framework, but you, really you're going to get the ball to space. Um, and I see a lot of probably players that are just overcoached. And we talk about the, the natural ability of, I would say, Jack Morgan, who's coming through for Wales. Just natural. Brilliant. He's He's got Toby Booth there. Osprey's is a brilliant coach. He's the one that picked me up from Jersey. Boothy doesn't stop natural talent grow. Um, he's one of the few coaches I've seen that do that. Um, and that's probably what I've learned is that the game of rugby is a very simple game and we probably overcomplicate it. I love listening to that.
1: Um, just before we finish up, Banners, we've got a few um, a few fun bits. The first one is the community questions uh, we put on Instagram before each guest comes on. Um, and we've had uh, a few questions through, but I've picked one. And it's from a guy called Stu. And he's asked, what's the best stag you've been on? And he's put <laughs> hashtag 115.
0: That is uh, Stu where His sister is married to Matt Garvey. Um he was my roommate uh, when we went to Edinburgh for <laughs> Matt Garvey Stagdu. Uh and we had a, a great time up there. Yeah, to us shoes just as big as Garves and with me, Garvey, Reese Priestland, Luke Charteris, as well as Darren Allenson, many rugby players, but it was just funny just having charts walking around nightclubs with his six foot eleven wandering <laughs> around just Pissed as farts, just and then going. We, we went paddle boarding down one of the the rivers, and boys were rugby tackling each other from one one rib to the other rib. Just small things, paintballing, shooting people when we we're not in the, the slots, and then just me and Stuart just carnage when we we get into a room and food and baths and just whatever, just chaos. But he's a it was a great it was a great time, and that's a part of friendships, relationships of sport that you you have these memories and we're very lucky that we have a period of time where we play, as Benji says, that boys get married and we we socialise with the boys that are rugby team, but we also socialise with people who aren't on the rugby teams. And like Stu's a brother-in-law and we were ushers at the wedding together. Um, and that's a, a relationship that I built through somebody who I played rugby with.
1: Really nice. And um, we have a thought of the week each week. We actually call it the pensive Pre pod poo ponder, and it comes from Sam James. Um, he gives us one each week, and this week he sent in a voice note actually, so I will play it down the uh, down the mic. Not sure I've done this one before, um, but would you rather have what's it finger dust, as in you've put your fingers in a bag of what's it, um, but it will never come off um, for the rest of your life, or your arms every time you didn't concentrate on them would raise up. To the sky,
0: so you don't walk around with your arms above your head constantly. Um, simple, would you rather?
1: So, which one?
0: <laughs> I don't mind the taste of what's it, so I'd have what's it fingers. <laughs> 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 Amazing, Ben. Reminds you, of Reminds you of your childhood, is it?
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, Oh, hands up in the air, probably.
0: Yeah, you look like the guy off uh, role models, <laughs> not role models. It's grown ups. The guy at the side of the court. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got it. It's <laughs>
1: oh, brilliant. And um, every every guest that comes on, we uh, we challenge them to to sort of undertake a challenge, basically. Um, and we were having a little bit of a think. And usually, the people that we have on, we try and get them to do a celebration. But because you've hung up your boots, we were having a bit of a think. Um, I'd love to get a few, I don't know how many rugby clubs there are in Jersey. I know obviously Jersey playing the championship, but I don't know how many other rugby clubs there might be, but it would be great to get you to get all of those clubs signed up to the Loose Partnership Programme.
0: Yeah, well, you've got the Jersey uh, Rugby Club, who's not the Reds, the Reds are the ones in the championship, but the Jersey Rugby Club is the ones who all the Jersey boys play for. Yep. Um, they're the main one. They're now coming through the ranks of like London, Southwest, four, three. Uh, and they're the Jersey boys. And that's, in, in theory, the team that I played for, before they did the, the split for the Reds and the, the amateur side. So yeah. it'd be great to see those boys sign up for it and and get on it. Yeah,
1: well, there you go. There's your challenge from uh, in honour of the Loose podcast. I think
0: Miles. Miles Landick, the head coach. I'll get him on it. There you go.
1: And finally, final question from us is, um, what is your question for the start of the podcast with our next guest?
0: Uh, my question, I said, would they change or what would they change any action or choice that they did throughout their career so far nice question
1: one to make you think
0: because me yeah i wouldn't change anything because i have what's behind me is behind me i'm always moving forward but you'll always get somebody who'll say they'll change something but that'll change their destiny yeah
1: yeah makes you think that one interesting Yeah. yeah Yeah, now, yes. Banners thank you for coming on you're a true gent I love listening to you you're one of the good guys in rugby really appreciate all of your support in, in loose heads the game for grief looking forward to having you uh, wear the loose heads colours again uh, in the next charity match um, one of
0: sevens so, touch I yes. think you're playing in is that, that, is as that going? is that going ahead?
1: yes it's on
0: oh, we're there Benji yes, <laughs> yes.
2: happy be days I'm in brilliant
1: <laughs> no thank you Banners really appreciate it thank you